0: wide Vancouver as the Canucks open the preseason with a 10-0 loss in Calgary. Jeff Patterson joined By Blake Price. And you know, Blake, even as the Canucks are on the wrong end of a one-sided setback like this one to open up the National Hockey League preseason, every game's an evaluation tool. There are still things to draw from a game like this one. And of course, that's what we do here post-game on Rinkwide. So lots to chew on, lots to get to. Not a lot of great storylines, obviously, for the Vancouver Canucks, but uh, this one is done and dusted and in the books. And as always, Rinkwide Vancouver, a presentation of Bodog.
1: Your trusted source for sports odds and two Monday nighters coming up tomorrow. So uh, brighter days. And hey, Russell Wilson, uh, speaking to the NFL, knows all about blowout uh, losses, doesn't he? Uh, there's a bit of a parallel there. Eagles and bucks though, to get things started tomorrow. And how about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, to plus-190 to stage the big upset on the Eagles, who are, of course, a Super Bowl favorite for many. Plus-190 on the Bucs tomorrow in Monday Night Football, brought to you by Bodog. That's our Bodog line of the day.
0: Yeah, and look, I mean, the Canucks dressed an inferior lineup. I I don't think anybody could argue with that. Calgary Flames had a number of top-end guys. And yeah, I mean, standard operating procedure. I saw a lot of people sort of pulling their hair out, if you can see people pulling their hair out on social media, uh, about why would they dress this kind of lineup? But pretty routine, really. Certainly in the first week of the preseason, where the home team, they've got paying customers. Uh, Those people want to see some star power. And certainly the Flames dressed a number of their best players, but not their uh, opening night roster by any stretch of the imagination. And for me, uh, you look at the Vancouver Canucks lineup in this one, uh, Dakota Joshua and newcomer Pugh Suter, really the only guys that I expect to be in the Vancouver Canucks opening night lineup on October 11th against Edmonton. Uh, after that, Nils Hoaglander, Vasily Podkolzin, uh, maybe Akito Horosi still battling for spots. And we're going to talk about those three uh, and others as this one moves along. But uh, it got out of hand early for the Vancouver Canucks down uh, One-nothing two and a half minutes into the hockey game, uh two-nothing after five minutes, and then the flames started to pour it on. Now, at four-nothing after one, it sort of settled down. And if you could put the score aside, I thought the first ten minutes of the second period, you know, the Canucks carried the play a little bit. There were some signs of life there, and then there was a three-minute span, and it went from four-nothing to seven nothing, and it just felt like it would never end. I mean, anytime you give up double digits, I don't care if it's preseason, I don't care if it's a you know, inter-squad scrimmage at training camp. It's not a good look on the organization. Again, context matters, certainly. And I didn't expect that the Canucks were going to win this hockey game based on the two lineups, but I did expect it to be a little more competitive. And quite frankly, I'm guessing, look, Ryan Huska, first game behind the bench as an NHL head coach, he'll take the victory. But I bet if you asked him, he probably would have liked to closer, tighter affair? Because it's pretty hard for the Flames to evaluate what they went through uh, on a night like this one, where essentially they scored at will.
1: I don't think it would have made a huge difference, but I am surprised that there wasn't a couple of more veterans. Um, I mean, like the top eight forwards probably aren't in the lineup for this one. Like throw in a Beauvillier, do you throw in a Tyler Myers? Uh, And again, does that make... Maybe it's 7-0, 8-0 instead, or 7-2, or something like that. So it probably doesn't change uh, much, but it was a very, very Abbott's 40 kind of lineup, and and it certainly didn't uh, help things on the scoreboard. What it does do is it judges, uh, for Rick Talkett, at least, it evaluates how do these players, the ones that showed up tonight uh, physically, uh, how do they react to severe adversity and to an embarrassment? And 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 it does, you know, we're gonna talk about this, but the disparity of statistics, Jet Woo, his plus-minus versus oh. Akita Hiroshi. You know, like those things are gonna stand out like sore thumbs. And while nobody's fate is sealed after nights like this, I think guys dug themselves holes. I think Jet Woo dug himself a hole tonight. I think Archer Seeloffs, despite all of what we've seen of Archer Seeloffs in the last twelve months, I, I I don't know. In front of a brand new head coach, I don't know that he did himself any favors here. I I don't know that it just gets whitewashed as a oh ho hum a preseason game. Like you know, were were the players good in front of him? No, they weren't. No. Um, but. You know, you can't have seven goals on 18 shots. You can't. You can't. That can't be the ratio.
0: Yeah. And look, we saw him at the World Hockey Championship in the spring where he elevated his game. And I think that added to this excitement level that this guy who got his feet wet in the National Hockey League last year, look at him on the world stage. Again, opening night of the preseason. Nobody's writing him off. He'll probably get another opportunity here in the preseason, although they do have a lot of goaltenders. And it'll be interesting to see. And and I'm also interested to see there's five games to go. So how does this one loss, ten nothing, how does it shape Rick Tockett's view on the pre? Like they can't have another one of these, obviously. Like they have to get better lineups in there and start to make a showing. You know, the, the one thing that when people asked, like, why would they do this on opening night, and why would they send this kind of lineup? I will say it does fly in the face of an awful lot of what we heard from Jim Rutherford and Rick Talk and Patrick Helveen at the podium on Wednesday at a training camp. And just what we've heard through preseason about everybody being on the same page and getting in early to sort of set the stage. And then they come out and, you know, throwing up all over themselves doesn't even begin to describe what happened in Calgary. So organizationally, not a good look again. uh, Context matters, but... You know, as we look at some of these individual performances, and let's start with Silovs because you're right. I mean, he's the last line of defense, and there were certainly breakdowns in front of him. And a little unfortunate, you know, the opening goal kind of set the tone for the night to come. You know, off the stick of Sheldon Dries, off the skate of Jet Wu, and into the back of the net. Not an awful lot that Arthur Silovs could do there. I, I thought when it got to 6 nothing. I thought get him out of there like he doesn't deserve this and then quickly after it was 6 nothing it was 7 nothing and then the hook did come out and Zach Chalenko came in and you know we're not going to spend a lot of time worrying about Zach Chalenko and his performance in this hockey game but you're right if you're Arthur Silovs you're facing NHL shooters and you want to prove that you're up to the challenge and you know Jonathan Huberto with a couple of goals uh, Hannafin leaned into the slap shot that was the one that ended the night for Silovs uh, Matthew Coronado a young guy who comes with pedigree and is looking to make the Calgary Flames and you know, put his best foot forward, certainly with a hat trick in this hockey game. But yeah, I mean, uh, forget about the guys in front of you. Ultimately, you you do need some saves. So I'm I'm with you. Um, And again, I I would expect that Silas will get another half game somewhere here in the preseason. But, you know, you got Demko, obviously, that wants to play. Casey DeSmith, new to the organization. Uh, Spencer Martin, a little bit up in limbo or in limbo right now, but... Nikita Tolopilo. I think they want to have a look at him at the very least. So uh, with five games to go, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle their goaltending moving forward. But a tough night for Sealovs, and certainly a tough not, I guess, Silovs. So we should get into the habit there that this is... uh, this wasn't Shorty with a lisp or something on television. This is uh, Artie. We've been saying it wrong apparently uh, for his time in the organization. It is Shilovs moving forward here now. Although I joked on Twitter that uh, it's not working for him, that he might want to go back to being Arthur Shilovs, go into the witness protection program after this one, <laughs> start hit hit redo and start all over again. But uh, apparently Shilovs it shall be when uh, referring to the Connect starting goaltender tonight.
1: Well, let's work our way out from defense up through to the forwards. And Jeff, uh, I've already made mention of it. Um, tale of of two young defensemen. And um, certainly we've become more familiar with Jet because he's been with the organization for uh, a lot longer. But we also heard about all this helium. And um, I saw a lot of criticism uh, of Jet Wu not too long ago. I'm talking two to three years ago that, you know, things just things have plateaued. And this was just not a guy destined for the NHL. And maybe he heard some of that criticism because he turned it around and, and uh, and showed development at the American Hockey League level. So there was some expectation that he would be one of the first couple of call-ups, maybe. Yep. He wasn't going to make the opening night lineup, but that, and again, that still might be the case. But this is the kind of night, again, that, that's sort of going to... He's now got to outplay the memory of this a little bit in the minds of the head coaches, um, especially when you've got a direct comparison of a guy around the same age in Nikita Hiroshi with lot you know a lot less pro game experience and you know the stats columns just don't flatter Jet Wu up against Hirose.
0: Right and so we said like the score ultimately does not matter the end result there weren't two points up for grabs but what does matter is that Jet Wu wants to show that he can stop guys like Jonathan Huberto and Nazem Kadri and those are the kind of players you're going to see in the National Hockey League and if you're a young defenseman and the Canucks have to go out of the road you know, they don't get last change. They can't shield some of those players. And so you have to be able to defend against some of the top players in the National Hockey League. And I'll give Wu a pass on the first goal. I mean, that's a bad bounce. It's unfortunate, but it did kind of set the tone. For me, like it was the fifth goal. It was Huberto's second of the night, the two-on-one in the neutral zone. Jet Wu steps up and is caught completely flat-footed, and you just, you can't at this level, you might be able to get away with that in the American Hockey League, or at lower levels, but this is the NHL, these are some of the best players, obviously, even in preseason, and Jet Wu hangs Matt Irwin out to dry at that point, like, they had numbers, it should have just been a two-on-two at the Canucks blue line, and Jet Wu gets caught, and the flames blow right past him, and Kadri sets up Huberto, and so that wasn't a good look, and there were others, and you're right, I mean, take, plus minus for what you will, but on a night when you're on the ice for half of the 10 goals that are scored against your team, that's not a step in the right direction. And when you compare it to, and this might be the stat of the night, that Akito Hirose was second on the Canucks in ice time and wasn't on the ice for a goal against. That is incredible. But in terms of evaluation and trying to set a pecking order for some of these depth guys like that's a big win (laughs) that's not a word that we're using often with the Vancouver Canucks on a night like this one but that's a massive win for Akito Hirose to come out of this game without being on the ice for a single goal in a double digit loss
1: the uh the old standby young defenseman was on the ice there too and we can sort of have a, another bin. There's a bunch of bins where I want to throw players <laughs> after this game. None of them garbage bins, just, okay. you know, categories. And guys that weren't necessarily horrific, but boy, am I disappointed in my under, in the underwhelming feelings around them. Uh, we'll get to Pod Colson in a bit. Uh, but Jack Rathbone's the same. You know, like I just they're I got, I, I want this kid to be good so badly. And I think there's a lot of skill there, but uh just it was a, it was a kind of a nothing night for him,
0: right? And you know this is the sign of an organization that is progressing that you bring in guys that are going to move other players lower on the depth chart, and that's where Jack Rathbone is. A couple of years ago, people were high on him. You know, he played the modern game and he could move the puck, and obviously offense wasn't an issue. But could he defend? And that continues to be an issue. And certainly at the NHL level, and the looks that we've had, that there are some concerns. He's not big, obviously, by NHL standards. And it just kind of feels like Akito Hirose certainly has moved past him on the depth chart. Uh, You know, there's been a little bit of a resurgence in Guillaume Brisebois who just hangs around this organization, but I thought he had a decent couple of days over in Victoria and he was paired with Tyler Myers. And it makes you wonder if that's something that the Canucks want to have a look at here uh, through the preseason, Christian Wolanin as well. There are just guys now and the Canucks have started to add some depth. So two years ago, Jack Rathbone looked like a, prospect because they just didn't have an awful lot around him but you know as the organization grows and the player development system grows uh, guys are going to move up and others are going to move back and you know from my dealings with Jack Rathbone it seems like an absolute like all-world dude like just a really good guy you want to pull for him but this is pro sports and it's not about feeling good it's about who can step in and help an organization and you just kind of feel like Jack Rathbone's days are certainly numbered in the organization, or at least in terms of opportunities to play at the National Hockey League level. And that's not a knock on Jack Rathbone. You know, everybody finds their level, but it's the Canucks' job to go out there and try to find guys that are better than the ones that they've had here for a couple of years. So, yeah, I didn't think it was a great night for for him. You know, Noah Juleson starts training camp in Victoria on the right side with Quinn Hughes, and you're thinking, wow, what an opportunity. Uh, wasn't a good night for him. I mean, outside of Hirose, it wasn't a good night for pretty much anybody that was wearing a cadet uniform, but, uh, that second goal, the power play goal, or the third goal, rather Huberto just, you know, outweights Juleson great patience by a big time player. And Noah Juleson's got to do a better job of defending. And then the brutal giveaway on the, the six nothing goal where, you know, a little bit of pressure and he just fires it up the gut and it uh, lands on the stick of Coronado and into the back of the net. So tough night for Noah Juleson, tough night for Jack Rathbone, uh, you know, Cole McWard had some moments, uh, some good, but uh, there were some issues defending as well. And Matt Irwin was one of the real veterans. In fact, 450 NHL games under his belt and first look at him in a Canuck uniform, you know, stands up for Nils Hoaglander when he got flattened on the sideboards by Dennis Gilbert. And you appreciate that. But, uh, you know, there were some def- defending issues as well, even for. Uh, a guy like Matt Irwin, who's going to be in tough to to make this hockey club and signed here as a a depth guy. So we'll see where it goes. But really, when you talk about your bins, I think I would put five of the defensemen in, (laughs) one bin in the same bin and Akito Hiroshi sort of on an island uh, after a night like this one.
1: All right. So staying with the bins theme, what's the bin for Nils Hoaglander? Because he was on my TV a lot. Yeah. Um, High event kind of a night for, for Nils Hoaglander. Listen, we're going to have to judge this on a, on a curve because it's a 10, nothing loss. So as you put it, nobody looked good, but there were some good things from Nils Hoaglander despite the fact there were some bad things and bad giveaways and, and all that sort of stuff. So how do you uh, judge Niels Hoaglander, again, on the curve uh, with his night?
0: I like when he's involved physically, and the Canucks want that. If he's yeah. going to get an opportunity to play and certainly you know top six role like he had over in Victoria, he's got to get in on the four check. He's got to hound pucks and turn them over. He's not big, but he's not afraid either. And we saw some good signs from him playing alongside Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko in the first couple of days of camp and the scrimmage. And then all of a sudden, a reality check is you go to Calgary for the first preseason game and you're on a line with Nils Amon and Linus Carlson. You're looking around and you're, where's, where's Pettersson? He's, uh, you know, uh, so a different situation for him. But Hoaglander's got to try to put his best foot forward. And I thought he did. I mean, the energy was there. That's when he's at his best. You know, he gets rocked along the sideboards by Gilbert and then turnabouts fair play. Cause in that second period, you never want to see anybody get injured. Like I was glad Huberto came back into this game. Cause uh, when he got hit sort of knee on knee there by Matt Irwin, I thought uh, like opening night of the preseason, that's the last thing anybody needs. So I was glad to see that Dennis Gilbert left the game, didn't come back and you know, Hoglander just trying to get a body on him and he did he shoulder to shoulder and you know, far enough from the boards that uh, you know, Gilbert traveled a bit of distance and, Uh, unfortunately for him, uh, came out on the short end of that one. But that's what you need from Nils Hoaglander is down low, uh, trying to be physical. Obviously, you'd like some offense, and there was none to be found for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, there were a couple of guys that uh, had some opportunities. But I didn't think, when he had the puck on his stick, didn't notice Hoaglander an awful lot. And some of that, I think, is playing with, you know, we saw last year at the NHL level Nils Amon, not terribly gifted in terms of generating and producing offense. And and Linus Carlson, I think, still has some distance to go before uh, he's really knocking on the door for a National Hockey League opportunity. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the effort certainly was there. I'm not going to knock that from nils Hoaglander. There's got to be more of it. But in terms of uh, a bottom line, if he's going to play you know, chances are he's going to play in the top nine role at the NHL level. And I think there are some expectations at the very least that there's got, to, you're not going to score every night, but I want to see a chance or two and him looking dangerous and didn't see an awful lot of that from Niels Hoaglander tonight.
1: And and even late in the game, um, uh, he gets stood up at his own blue line trying to stick handle out there. And um, it, it's, he it was a turnover, not the worst one because he knew he had support behind him. He had a couple of guys behind him. It's not like he was the last guy out or anything, but, I, I, I mean, just once in a while, I would love to see that skill and see him dangle that person and get get right yep. through and you know and and show an NHL level of skill. It's just too bad he 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 looked quick there. He sort of made a, an initial deke. I thought, oh, here it comes, and then he didn't get through.
0: Just one shot on goal in his only attempt of the night. And again, yeah. uh, the Canucks didn't. The Canucks didn't have the puck an a lot. Although it is funny that the final shots in the hockey game were twenty six apiece. So it must have been a tight one. Nail biter,
1: absolute <laughs> nail biter. <laughs> We want ten as the calendar. Yes. At that point, we all did, didn't we? I mean, we, <laughs> sure. we just wanted to see it. You know. You're in that. You're in that deep. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's get to the uh, sort of I, I say the wingman, just because we sort of associate these two guys together. Um, I think, given the lineup that we were at the start of the night, I would say we probably would have penciled in Pendy and Hoaglander and Pod Colson as the biggest curiosities of this game, maybe alongside Seelofs and. Um, eminently disappointed in, in, in Vasily Pud-Colson because I'm a massive fan of his. Again, like a lot of these young players in this lineup tonight, Jeff, I'm just praying for everything to go right for this guy because I think he would be, based on his skill set, that would be a heck of a player if it all worked out at, at the NHL level. Why is he so invisible? I just don't get it.
0: Yeah, really frustrating. You are yeah. not wrong in that assessment whatsoever. You know, you think of the confidence that he should have come into this game with after skating with JT Miller and Brock Besser, like being placed in a position to succeed at camp. And again, his line mates changed. There was no Miller. There was no Besser in the lineup tonight, but Vasily Colson should have been firing out of a rocket to start this hockey game and nothing, not a single shot on goal, three attempts, not credited with a hit in this hockey game either. It can't be that way. And, and, like, he means so much to this organization. Like, they whiffed on Jake 10 and they whiffed on Olia Levy. This guy was a top 10 pick as well, you know, four years ago now. Like, players that were drafted after him, Matthew Boldy, Cole Caulfield, like, these guys are emerging as stars of the National Hockey League. And you just keep wanting and waiting for something to chew on. And there was something in his rookie season when he scored 14 goals. But since then, uh, it has been you know, in retreat or in decline, and it can't be that way. So, yeah, I mean, I think when I look through this Canuck lineup, I mean, obviously the final score is disappointing, but individually, uh, maybe Pod Koles and, you know, or near the top of my list of guys that I just, I wanted, I mean, you know me and do something and there was nothing to his game and it, it can't be that way. They, they need this guy to take steps forward here. And, um, you know, I, I watched him closely through training camp. And, again, the first couple of days were primarily drills. And, and it's really hard to assess, like, who stood out and, you know, who stepped back. But when we talked to him after, I think it was the Friday session in Victoria, like, the headspace, big smile. He talked about all the hard work he had put in and trying to enjoy it and not worry so much about, uh, you know, getting in his head and all those types of things. And then you have a night like tonight, like throw the body. when it Once it gets to 3-0 or 4-0, like, you know, start to be physical. Like take on a leadership role in an otherwise like fairly young lineup. Um, I was just looking for something, anything from Vasily Podkoles. And just a really, really disappointing performance from him.
1: Uh, again, we I felt like Nils Hoglander was on my screen a lot, um, despite the 10-0 score line and despite some mistakes made by Hoaglander. At least he was on my TV screen. I, when you're searching for Podkoles and it's... Uh, it's a bad thing.
0: And like, yeah, it's not JT Miller and Brock Besser, but there weren't many NHLers in this lineup. He played on a line with Pia Suter, who probably was the best player the Canucks had, you know, at least in terms of NHL goal scoring and category and all. Yeah. 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 And Jack Stunica, who's had a fine camp, and we'll talk about him because I thought he was one of the better Canucks. Like uh, Of the NHLers or pseudo-NHLers in the lineup, like, Pud Colson got a chance to play with them. Like, he wasn't being asked to carry an American Hockey League line. And again, like just get in on the four check, separate some guys from the puck, like show that you want it. And I just, I didn't feel that at all from him. And I don't want to go too deep on Danilo Klimovich, but I didn't see much from him at young stars. I forgot that he was at main camp. And did you know that he played in this game tonight? Penalty. Uh, well, he took a pen, he took penalty a early on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, you know, down to nothing behind the eight ball. And then he goes and takes a, a hooking penalty, Um uh, so that wasn't a great start for him, but, um, there's another guy and I know he's still young and there is time and I'm not expecting him to make the Vancouver Canucks, but I just keep waiting for any sort of signal that there has been growth and development and progress in his game. And, uh, every chance I see him, whether it's in person at training camp or watching this one from afar, like it's just a, you know, another invisible performance in my mind for Danilo Klimovich.
1: All right, let's take uh, a quick break. Uh, Jeff, I want to get your three stars on the other side. And we've got our stat of the game, another uh, addition here to uh, Rinkwide this season as well. 10 nothing, 10 nothing. 10 nothing, yes. Flames over the Canucks. Back with more in a sec.
0: Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. and kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the Dome. Well, the damage was done at the saddle 10-0 the final score. Should we get into the three stars, Blake? I don't know who the three stars in the building were, but certainly the plane offered up all sorts of candidates. I'm guessing that Matt, Matt Coronado was the first star in the hockey game. Uh, my three stars from this one, and they are all flames. I know it's a knock post game podcast, but they got bleached ten zip. It's ten so. nothing. Come on, yes. we yeah. on this night. It was all flames, including the three star selection. Uh, I'll go with Coronado. I mean, this is a guy that uh, the Flames want to step into the lineup and score goals, and he did just that. To, you know, fans uh, fans have a decision to make in the preseason. Like, if a guy scores a hat trick, are you throwing a hat for a mm. preseason hat? Mm. trick? I, I got the sense that some people were like, nah, it's not worth my hat. I'm keeping my I'm keeping yeah. my hat. Uh, show me on opening night. But uh, great start to the preseason for Coronado. Three goals and an assist. So he was the first star for me. Jonathan Huberto, a uh, couple of goals. Uh, you know, obviously the Flames expected more than they saw from him in his first year after the big trade. So uh, got the feel of the puck, put in the net. Nice start there. And I thought Noah Hanifany he chased uh, Arthur Shulovs with that long slap shot, the one timer from the left point. Also had a couple of assists. And on a night where the Flames didn't give up a goal. Uh, why not throw a defenseman into the mix there? So, Coronado, Huberto, and Hannafin, my three stars here on Rinkwide Vancouver.
1: All right. Let, let, let's talk about what could have been. Was there any goals that, well, we saw a goal, a, a near goal uh, at the uh, very end, another one could have been 11 0. Um, where, where are the closest chances? Jack Stanika late on the steal. Aturatu early, maybe, uh, coming up from the corner there. Where were the where were the close goals here for the Canucks?
0: Yeah, I thought Nils Haman early in the second period. Stanika kind of went between the legs and dropped the pass, and he moved in and, and got a good shot away, and Jacob Markstrom, I thought, made one of his best stops, so I thought Nils Amman had a pretty good chance. Uh, but Stanika was probably the most dangerous. Like, when yeah. you look at the final stat sheet, uh, there were a handful of Canucks that had four shots on goal, and Jack Stanika was one of them. Uh, that spinning chance late in the second period and Markstrom slid across to his right and was able to make the save. And then the uh, first shift of the third period, uh, Stodica was all over the puck and actually had a couple of opportunities there. So, uh, you know, were there great A's for the Vancouver Canucks? No. And were you expecting great A's from this lineup? Probably not, but still 60 minutes of hockey for some guys that had, you know, NHL, experience at different levels I would have thought that there was a little bit more you know they had five power plays so didn't do a whole lot uh, with the power play so um yeah I mean the the opportunities the, the true chances were few and far between for the Canucks but I did think you know we've talked about the doom and gloom we may as well look at some of the guys that I, I thought mm-hmm. you know at least showed reasonably well we talked about Hoaglander I thought Stunika and again you know, he's a forgotten guy. Nobody really talks about him uh, through the offseason. The Canucks go out and they sign some players in free agency. We've talked about Pat Colson and Hoaglander. But Jack Mika from day one, and apparently uh, was among the best uh, in the fitness testing, you know, like put in the hours in the offseason, arrived early. Uh, he wants to show the hockey club that, you know, he can find a role. I'm not sure what that role is. I don't know if he's going to be a a regular among the top 12 forwards when they're healthy, but could he be the extra forward? He's got some versatility. He's played center. He's played wing. Maybe there's some penalty killing utility. You know, he skates well. So that is probably his biggest asset. And he was motoring throughout the camp in Victoria, the preseason or the the scrimmage as well. And I thought he carried that over. And so a night for him, you know, four shots on goal, uh, six attempts overall, played 15 and a half minutes. Yeah, he's on the ice for a couple of goals against because uh, just about everybody was. But uh, I thought it was a step forward. And so, yeah, for me, I thought he was probably the most dangerous of the Vancouver Canuck forwards.
1: There's a journeyman spot available here on this team, isn't there? Like whether it's Di Giuseppe or... Studnicka or Dries or somebody like is Isn't there a journeyman spot available here?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, we have to wait and see how they set their roster. Are they going to go with 22, uh, you know, for salary cap that reasons? Things. Yeah, that changes. But remember, too, they start at home and then they go on the road for five. And, you know, do you only want one extra body when you're going all the way, like, to the East Coast early in the season? I think they'd like to have a few extra bodies. But those guys that you mentioned, like DiGiuseppe, you know, he's got the big body to play Rick Tockett uh, board battle hockey. Sunika is more about sort of the modern game and up and down and, and the speed of the game. Uh, you know, and then there are others. And obviously, Mikhaev's health is going to factor into this, too. So, yeah, we're still a few weeks away from setting the roster and opening night. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely – in Sheldon drives we've seen as a center, uh, you know, second power play if that's an area that they want to beef up a little bit because Pia Suter was getting a look uh, when they did the special teams uh, training camp on Saturday. And, you know, I I don't know necessarily that uh, he spent a lot of time on NHL power plays in his three years in the league, but, He's been a 15-goal scorer, so I'm not suggesting that he shouldn't or can't be on the power play. But, you know, that's an area that Sheldon Dries did have some uh, use for the Vancouver Canucks. In fact, Sheldon Dries and Elias Pettersson each had six power play goals last year. So they'd like more from Pettersson. And I'm sure Sheldon Dries would love the opportunity to add to his total. Uh, But it wasn't great. I didn't notice Dries an awful lot other than that first goal that uh, the puck went off his stick. And then there was another one. Uh, was it uh, late in the third period? One of the goals in the third period where I thought Dries was a little late getting across to his man. I think that was the the Ben Jones goal. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Stanika I thought was all right. And Aturatu, uh, I thought he started the game well. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, in Penticton, like, he had a nice showing, but he should have. Like, he was... You know, a guy with 15 NHL games, most of the guys that play at Young Stars won't ever see 15 games in the NHL, and he's already had 15 games as a 20-year-old, so he should stand out, and I thought he did, Uh, and his tournament got better as it went along at Young Stars. I thought he was okay in Victoria. They started him on the wing, and then they moved him back to his natural position. I think they see him as a center, and certainly in this game, he lined up with Dakota Joshua and, you know, Sheldon Drives, who's played the middle. He was over on the wing, so that's a, a bit of a nod to Ratu that they wanted to see him at center in this hockey game. Uh, he finished the night with nine shot attempts. Like I know early in the game he was launching pucks, but I, I was surprised when I saw the final total that three shots on goal and six other attempts. So, uh, you know, that tells you that he had the puck on his stick in shooting positions at the very least. He didn't do an awful lot with it, but, um, you know, there was a nice sequence early in the first period where he all the way back on the back check, turned a puck over, and then had some open ice and was able, able to motor. And And, you know, he's not a fluid skater. Again, at young stars, you can get away with that just because uh, you're playing against junior age guys and, you know, he's a big, powerful guy and he builds up a head of steam. He's hard to stop, but uh, it was interesting to watch him at camp and then now into the preseason against guys that uh, are at his level or better. And there's still some work to do. I mean, there are areas of his game that uh, he has to show up, certainly, but uh, for him to have nine shot attempts, you know, I think that says something in a game where the Canucks didn't have the puck an awful lot that... uh, you know, When he had it on his stick, he was thinking offense and trying to create some things. Ultimately, uh, wasn't able to cash in. But uh, all things considered, you know, I would put him near the top of the list of guys that caught my eye at the very least. Even if uh, you know we're not giving glowing reviews for anybody that was wearing a Canuck uniform in a ten nothing loss.
1: Well, yeah, in a game like that, you're looking for moments. Okay, did you give me any moments? And uh, there was a couple of Ratu moments, uh, carrying the puck through the neutral zone again. Uh, I, I didn't go, wow, that guy's a blazer, but I was, I sort of thought, huh, that actually looks kind of quickish through the neutral zone. So I noted that. And then I uh, skill play down low, uh, coming out in front too, that just, okay, there's an offensive player with skill on display. And it's, you know, again, it, in, in light of some of the other guys we've already mentioned who gave us nothing there was there was a couple of moments that stood us so that's that's all you've gotten in a a game like this and 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 we've always implored and jeff me and you have been doing this for a long time which by the way it's good to be back on this horse again with you and doing post games uh, with you but um you know we've always said in these early games particularly preseason, just and this is where the genesis of do something came from was just a moment a moment or two show give us your high water mark um and only a handful of players were able to give us any sort of uh high watermark in this one.
0: Yes, you know me. I want guys to do something and unfortunately uh they didn't listen.
1: <laughs> there no. weren't
0: there weren't enough guys that did something in this hockey game. Uh and for some it's going to be the last chance. Like uh, Rick Tockett spent a fair bit of the weekend talking about, you know, we got close to 60 guys in Victoria. Uh, he he said on a few occasions, like I can't wait to really dig in when we get down in numbers. So I don't know what the plan is moving forward here, but you know, for some guys, this was going to be their one look, get the national hockey league preseason. Abbotsford's getting ready to ramp up its training camp next week and on to its regular season. So uh, yeah, for some guys, uh, the showing was not great and we'll see if there are any surprises. uh, If the Canucks make cuts here before their next preseason game, they've got back-to-back games now the rest of the week and it, It's kind of weird the way the schedule worked in the preseason. The first three preseason games are all on the road for the Canucks, and then they finish up with three at home. And the guys, uh, one of the home ones is out in Abbotsford, but but the guys on the telecast mentioned that, you know, for Rick Tockett, trying to instill systems, once they get off the road on Thursday in Seattle, they're in Edmonton Wednesday in Seattle on Thursday, then they're home through that home opener on October 11th, so... You Know if they get down in numbers, there's going to be lots of time for the coaching staff here to start to work with guys to really kind of focus in on the way they want to play and the guys that they want in positions. Um, you know, for opening nights, so uh, you know, they out of the road once they play that home opener, they're on a five game Eastern road trip, but there's no back to backs there, so you know, there's going to be a fair bit of practice time early in the season, and that should be a good thing, I would think, for Rick Tockett and his coaching staff. And after this one. Uh, it is clear that there is plenty to work on if you're the Vancouver Canucks.
1: Uh, you know, I think they might have been in better shape here. I don't mean physical shape, but just in, in better shape. They would have been more on their game. If if they had drunk AG1, maybe, uh, at some point in the preseason, maybe give them a little bit of spark. Some people feel like it gives them extra energy. Uh, find out for yourself. Why don't you get a little starter pack? We'll help you out. Go to drinkag1.com slash Vancouver. And there's a special offer there. It includes some uh, some travel packets as well. So you can give it a try for yourself and uh, see what AG1 can do for you. Stat of the game. Still around the corner.
0: and kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Breaking down a 10-0 Vancouver Canucks loss. Yes, 10-0, you know that by now. It is Rick wide Vancouver, Jeff Blake with you. And Rick Tockett, I mean, what can he do after a game like this? When well, he joked that he felt like Sean Payton. And of course, uh, Sean Payton's Denver Broncos gave up 70, so uh, the Canucks didn't. Might get there, but giving up 10 in a hockey game, I don't know which is worse, 10, 10 in a hockey game or, nah, 70 in an NFL game. I think I read somewhere it was the first time since the 60s that a team had hung 70 on an opponent in the NFL, so well, we don't see double digits in hockey very often, but there were reasons for this one, but talking, trying to have a sense of humor, he said his guys tried at the very least, but uh, said they once they got behind, they were chasing the game, and, and that is true, and then... You know, some guys maybe try to do a little too much or get out of their comfort zone. But again, that's what we said that, you know, even in a 10-0 defeat, guys that are exposed, like that's all like part of the evaluation of the organization and coaching staff and management. Uh, you know, I don't know how much film you watch after a game like this one, but there was certainly plenty in real time, you know, to make the decisions that they're going to have to make. And for me, it's just a question of when do they get down in numbers and, by Thursday night, you're halfway through your preseason. So it moves pretty quickly here uh in a week like this one.
1: And that's why this roster is a tad surprising, although I still suppose you do have one of these in your in your quiver. Like in what did we high watermark at? Nine game post our preseason? Yeah, I think there was yeah, I think there, there was, were some nine gamers. Like yeah. so for you know, that was understandable to have these kinds of lineups to the first two to three of a nine-game preseason. In a six-game preseason, a little surprised that they quote unquote waste one like this. Um, but uh, I suppose you could kind of get away with one of these. And, but I think for the next five, I think you've got to have a a pretty decent group in for the next five to make sure that everybody's had at least three games. I think you want to make sure that most people are three to four games, don't you, for the preseason and uh, ready for opening night?
0: Yeah, and I don't know what the Edmonton Oilers are going to do. The Canucks uh, in there on Wednesday, and as we said, the home team quite often as a superior lineup. Yeah. But thinking, keep in mind, the Canucks open the regular season, home and home against the Oilers. So they've got two preseason games left against Edmonton, and I mean four of their next seven are like they could see a they could get a heavy dose of McDavid here if he plays the preseason games and then obviously he's gonna be ready for opening night. So uh yeah, I mean the Edmonton Oilers are gonna be pretty familiar with the Oilers between now and and the 15th of October. Hey, let's get to the stat that stands out from this hockey game, and obviously it is the final score at 10-0. I mean, people around the league, that'll, even in preseason, people will sit up and take note. People in Australia, like new hockey fans yeah, in right. Australia are going to say, what in the world? A 10-0, how, how is that possible? Um, yeah, this will catch the attention of uh, some people around the National Hockey League and, and maybe around the planet. So that's certainly a stat that stands out. But I think for me, it, you know, we mentioned Akito Hirose, full props to him. The team's given up 10 and he's not on the ice for a single goal. He played twenty-one oh seven. 7 That didn't lead the Canucks in ice time. Cole McWard was the high watermark for ice time at 22-37. Jack Rathbone up over 21 minutes as well. Uh, we should point out that Linus Carlson wasn't on the ice for a goal either. Um. So he took a penalty late in the hockey game. There wasn't a whole lot to his night. I didn't think. No. But, uh, so there were two that were on the or that weren't on the ice for a goal against Akito Hirose and Linus Carlson. So yeah, you do that on a night when your team gets absolutely shellacked. That's a, a statistic that is going to stand out, and we'll uh, do that each and every episode as we work our way through the preseason. And Then, of course, uh, all 82 regular season Canucks games will have a stat that stands out for you. Unrequited, and,
1: and Akita Hirose already sort of a bit of a, a camp darling, at least in the eyes of fans and media. I think I don't know if the coaching staff is quite at the same level of fervor, but he's all of a sudden jumped up uh, a few notches. I would think on uh, you know the power rankings for for Tockett, and and uh, I'm sure he's put himself in good stead here the rest of the preseason at the very least.
0: Yeah, now you know you're right. I mean, guys got a lot of helium from his uh, brief appearance at the end of last season and looked all right in camp, but. You know, I still think that Christian Wolanin, he was out there as part of the second power play grouping on Saturday. Like, that's a pretty big tell that, uh, you know, they want to have a look at at him. This is a guy that has close to 100 NHL games and experience plus uh, you know, last year was the American Hockey League defenseman of the year. So he's just got a ton of experience that Hiroshi simply can't have because he turned pro coming out of college. And then I, I mentioned Guillaume Briesbois earlier, you know, on a night like tonight, like this was a good night for guys like Will Lannan and Briesbois because uh, they're not guilty by association. They weren't in mm-hmm. uniform. And so, uh, you know, we'll see them. I would expect we'll see both of those guys in one of the next couple of games here, if not both of them. So, Uh, You know, I I think you can get a little bit of a read on what coaches are thinking. And when I mentioned that Breesbois spent much of camp with Tyler Myers, I I think that that's something that they want to look at. And that could possibly be a third pairing to start the season for the Vancouver Canucks. Now, uh, if Breesbois is in the lineup, Will Lannan probably isn't, and so then maybe you go with a four-forward set on the second power play unit. Nils Hoaglander and Will Lannan were swapping out on Saturday at training camp, but when they were running some power play drills, so uh, you know there's no guarantee that Hoaglander makes the team. There's no guarantee that Will Lannan does. That is what preseason is all about. But you know, at the very least, I think it gives you some sense of what the coaching staff is thinking and considering, and some of the guys that they are eyeing for various positions. And we saw about half an hour's worth of special teams work after the scrimmage at Save on Foods Memorial Center on Saturday. So, you know, you're trying not to read too much into it. The coach kept telling us not to read too much into it, but that was really the only look that we had at, uh, special teams, so uh, there was a fair bit of interest in you know what the power play was going to look like, who was going to be on it, uh, what kind of formations were they going to use, and obviously didn't do much with five power play opportunities, but no real power play gunners in the lineup uh, in this one in Calgary, so I would expect that uh, whether by design or as a direct result of this outcome, you will see a much better Vancouver Canuck lineup on Wednesday when they roll into Edmonton, but then they go back-to-back into Seattle, so pretty good chance that there'll be a fair bit of turnover in the two lineups there, and that'll take you to the halfway mark of the preseason, and at that point, probably a chance to step back and really do some uh, reassessing if you're the Vancouver Canucks to get a sense of what you want to accomplish in the second week of the preseason when you're
1: back at home. Also, what do we say after really great sporting endings? We often say... You couldn't write an ending like that. Well, there's a writer's strike on. So this is what happens when there's no writers writing the endings. It's no. said nothing. The agreement was reached, though, tonight. The writers are going to be back at work soon, and that'll mean the sports endings will improve, right? It's all connected.
0: So the show will go on, after all. Yes. After Finally, all that. Yes. All right, good. Yeah, uh, some labor peace there. Yeah, uh, Not a lot of peace if you're the Vancouver Canucks and uh, you know, probably a bit of a sleepless night for a few guys uh, as they wonder if that was it for, <laughs> for their brief time uh, in the National Hockey League preseason. Again, we're not sure when decisions are going to be made by this hockey club, but uh, at some point this week, they will reduce their numbers uh, on that roster that was up close to 60 and uh, get down to more manageable numbers, send some junior guys back and start to, Weed out some of the guys to the farm team as well. Quick piece of news as well, earlier in the day, uh, a bit of a surprise, uh, the Canucks signing Sawyer Minio to an entry-level contract. I mean, this guy's a third-round draft choice this year in Nashville, and one of those players that yeah, was fine in Penticton last week and sort of you know flew under the radar, was paired with Hunter Bristavich through most of main camp in Victoria. I just always wonder why the rush? This is an 18 year old. You've got his rights for two years. He's and it's one of those, fifty. Seattle.
1: it's one of those 50 contracts. So yeah, you, you like, have to deploy those meaningfully. Right. So yeah. It's
0: yeah. A little surprise. Like he's not a first rounder. You know, you're not trying to, you know, show this guy that, uh, the organization has faith in you. And, and like, it, to me, I, I would just think you'd want him to go back for another season in junior and tell him to play well and, you know, play for that contract. But, uh, Whatever the case, uh, mm-hmm. Slater Minio gets himself a deal, so he'll uh, take that with him when he's reassigned to the Seattle Thunderbirds, who obviously were a terrific team last year, uh, got to the Memorial Cup final, and uh, he'll go back and play another year of junior, and then we'll see what the organization does uh, with him. But uh, they got that piece of business done earlier in the day. They didn't get much done in Calgary, 10-0, the final score. So, the Canucks preseason is underway. Another season of Rink Wide Vancouver is underway as well. A presentation of the fine folks at Bodog. And we will do this. Now, we should, full disclosure, uh, the game in Seattle on Thursday is not on television. And because of that, we're not sure if it will be streamed. We thought, you know what? We will do what we can with what we've got in the preseason. So the televised games, plus the one out in Abbotsford, uh, we'll have a required Vancouver. But Thursday after the Seattle game, uh, you know. Our our one respite, yes. Exactly. And, uh, you know, maybe it'll, no, hopefully it won't be like this one uh, in Calgary because uh, we managed to knock out the first pod of, post-game pod of the season uh, after a 10-0 shellacking by the Calvary Flames over the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, we're off and running, the Canucks up and running as well as far as their preseason is concerned. We'll be back to do this again on Wednesday when the Canucks are in Edmonton to face the Oilers. But that's going to do it for this episode of Rink-Wide Vancouver. Thanks so much for tuning us in, and uh, we look forward to being with you all season long as the Vancouver Canucks roll to that October 11th season opener against the Edmonton Oilers. But for Blake, this is Jeff. Again, thanks so much for listening to DrinkWide